Alright, good morning everybody. Welcome again to this space of worship. I'm glad if you're joining us now online and if you're here, welcome to worship and we're going to begin jumping right in with Psalm 52, the very last two verses of that psalm. They say this, But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. What an image here that as we come to worship, that desire of, of becoming like that olive tree that has, has the ability to flourish, to take deep roots and here it says, in the house of God, you know, Jesus said as he was leaving that the people of the church, that you and me here, we become that temple, that living temple together. And so it's good to come to worship and to be in the community like this, because then your roots, your metaphorical roots of your life are, are being able to go down into that temple, into this, into this now living body of Christ. And so doing this together, we can trust in God's unfailing love. We can do so forever and ever because we already know for us, eternal life has already started. In that moment we put our faith in Christ. We can praise him for what he has done, praising as his faithful people. And again, reminding one another through our songs, through our prayers, through our sermon today, reminding one another to put our hope in God's name because it is good. So I'm going to read this one more time, and then we're going to jump in after I pray into our time of, of music as we launch this worship gathering. Again, this is Psalm 52, last two verses. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name for your name is good. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you again as your people, as your temple. And like this, this grove of olive trees, we've come to sink our roots deep into the knowledge, into worship, into hope that's based upon your name, which is good. So open our mouths again and help us unite together once more around around the gift of music, around our shared time of prayers, as, as a body of Christ. And let us open our hearts and minds once more to your word, to hear your voice, so that we can continue to know what you would have us understand, what you would have us be, and you, what you would have us do in this life. Give us once more a taste of that, of that hope that you have given to us, that you have won for us through your life, death, and resurrection. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Reminder, we have music for you here if you're here on um, printed paper. If you're at home, uh, the digital hymnal is available. All of our social accounts and also on the email. Let us worship God. Under the tree.
Sinner. 
Jesus, the Messiah, the one who God had promised would come to give us everything we needed for our saving. Why we call Jesus our Savior, our saving in the present. But as we age, we know the importance that this was also a saving from death and a saving for eternal life. So we worship God together. Hey, I want to say uh, a big <laughs> a big thank you to our church. Uh, I mentioned last week we were doing this uh, event last that happened yesterday called Seeking Shalom. And, and I, I was so encouraged that we had a good number of our leaders coming out to support what we were doing and, uh, and then people participating on Zoom. So, hey, good job. Total bonus points for River of the Valley. Way to step up and lead, really lead our presbytery. Be a church that's leading our movement as this tribe of Christians together moving forward in what it means that God has called us to be peacemakers and to be people that is restoring shalom or, or peace in this world. So yeah, just want to give you props. If I could, I would just give you a big hand right now, but holding a microphone, it would sound funny. So we're going to move now into the word and we're going to have uh, Pastor Christy pray for this time. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to come together and to turn our hearts towards you and hear what you would like us to learn, what you would like us to put into action in our lives. We pray over Jonathan that you would speak through him, that your words would come through the preparation that he has done. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, yeah, we're jumping now into this seven-week uh, series in which we're looking at the different different resurrection appearances or different events that happen with the resurrection of Jesus. And today we're going to be jumping into the back end of Matthew. So Matthew 27 and 28. Matthew, one of the four books we call the gospel. Cataloging, showing off the life of Jesus from birth till his resurrection. Uh, and what we're going to look at today for all of you that like this sort of thing is a conspiracy we're looking at the deep state. <laughs> We're looking at what was happening on a macro level uh, around Jesus and this resurrection. And we're to do this so we can really appreciate the plot of this conspiracy. Um, we're going to be looking at three different three different readings of scripture today. So first, we're going to jump in at Matthew 27, and we're, we're revolving around what was happening with the Roman guards and also the leaders of the church or the, the chief priests. Uh, as as they were trying to wrestle with Jesus and and this idea of resurrection and we'll see what happens but this is Matthew 27 and I'm going to start verse 62 and this is what it says so the next day the one after the preparation day this is Saturday okay so we talked last week what must Saturday have been like this is what Saturday was like for the guards the next day the one after preparation the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. 
Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Okay, so we can see that on that Saturday, they were already thinking about this, that he had said he was going to raise from the dead. And so their concern was that the, these disciples would come and they would, they would take the body and then claim that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. So um, Pilate says, okay, good point. Go ahead and I'll, I'll give you a, a Roman guard. And what, what they would do is the guards would come and they would, they would put a rope. So they would seal this, the, the tomb with a, a very large stone. And then they would put a rope across the, that stone and with like a clay or wax, they would fasten the rope both on either side of the stone and also right in the middle. So when they say put a seal on the stone, that's what they were doing. And then the Roman symbol would be right there. So people knew that if they disturbed it or if they tried to break in, they would be held accountable, which I think had a, even a penalty of death attached to it. So the guards go and they seal the stone the best that they know how. Let's keep reading. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone. <gasps> the angel broke the Roman seal. Rome's going to hold that angel accountable come from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow the guards were so afraid <laughs> the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men the angel said to the woman do not be afraid for i know that you are looking for jesus who was crucified he is not here he has risen just as he said okay so we're going to pause there now let's jump down to verse 11. So we have the Roman guards that were sent out after the chief priests come to Pilate saying, you know what, we got to be careful. The disciples might try and pull one on us here. So they send the guards to, to make sure that that does not happen. They seal the tomb. In the morning, the guards are sitting there, and all of a sudden, this crazy event happens. The angel, this, this really bright, shiny, powerful creature comes and moves the stone over and sits on it. It says they were so scared they became like dead men as they were shaking, which was actually a pretty good response if you, if you really consider what was happening. Okay? And then this happens. Verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Okay? Everything that had happened. You might be wondering what they, what they knew. Well, we just read how they were right there when the angel came. They were witnesses to that power, and they were witnesses also to the angel then speaking to Mary, telling them that Jesus had risen. So while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say... His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, 
We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this is the story that has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Okay? So we kind of now understand this, this deep plot, this deep state plot, this conspiracy that was at play as Jesus, with that full power of God, is risen from the dead. During the time of Elisha, there is this moment that we've come to a few different times in the past years together in the sermons when the entire army of, of the Aramaeans, the, the land of Syria, the entire army came and laid siege on Samaria. You can find this story in 2 Kings 6 and 7. So an entire army of that land of the Syrians, they have come and they've encircled the city of Samaria. And it's so bad that there is now this, this famine inside the city of Samaria. And this is a lot of times how they would lay siege. They would surround them and cut off all their supply chains. There were no uh, C-130s to airdrop food or anything, so they would just end up starving them out. And as the story goes, um, there are these lepers that were on the edge of the city where they were supposed to be. And as these, these men are sitting there, there's four of them, they begin thinking to themselves, look, it, we can stay right here and we're going to die because there's no food. We could go into the city, but that's the exact same problem. There's no food there. Maybe our best chance would be to leave the city and go out to the enemy, go out to the Syrian army. Because, you know, maybe they'll pity us. Maybe they'll just take us in as prisoners of war and they'll give us some food. So maybe we'll live. They might kill us, but we're definitely going to die here. So let's at least try and go. So they leave the city and they head out to the camp. And what do they find? Nobody's there. And why? It says that the God had, that God had made the Syrians hear the sound of a large army coming. And they thought that the king of Samaria had contracted other armies like from, from Egypt and the Hittites to come and attack from their flank. And so they were so afraid, it says, when they heard the noise of these armies coming, even though they weren't coming, they were so afraid that they left everything in their haste just as it was. So you can imagine like there's fires with food cooking on them and, and tents with all their belongings. And, and instead of packing camp, they thought they had no time to lose. They just got up and hightailed and ran. So these four lepers <laughs> get to this camp and they're beside themselves. They don't know what to do with it. They're so excited. I can imagine them being so hungry and they're, they're cooking on the fire is some, is, some, is some perfect meat, and they take it off and they eat it. They go into one of the tents, it says, and they find, they find things like gold and treasure in one of the tents. They start taking it out and burying it <laughs> for themselves until one of them says, you know what, this isn't right to what we're doing. This isn't right. And he says exactly, this is a day of good news. But if we keep it to ourselves, we're going to be held responsible for not having shared this good news because there is an entire city, large city of people that are currently dying from famine that are actually being now spurned on to violence towards one another to survive. And as we're sitting here 
eating everything we could possibly want. And there's plenty here for everybody in that city. As we're here bearing treasure and gold and only thinking about ourselves, our brothers and sisters in Samaria are all dying. So they go back and they imagine they're, they're walking up and there's guards on top of the towers. You know, who goes there? And the four lepers say, we just came back from the Syrian camp. No one's there. We can all go now. So the, these guards go and they tell the king of Samaria. The king of Samaria says, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Not a chance this has happened. The king says, I'll tell you what has really happened. They only want you to think this happened. In fact, they're out in the woods right now hiding. And as soon as we go out there, they're going to attack us. They're going to ambush us. And they're going to slaughter the entire people of Samaria. So he doesn't open the gates. He does not let these famished, dying people in Samaria out into this camp where there is plenty of food and treasure for everybody because of his doubt, because of his inability to get on the same page with those lepers. 800 years later, Jesus would walk the earth. 800 years later, he would come and, and he would be saving people from not just the famine of food, but the famine of our souls. He would be the one that would come to connect us again to our own self and our purpose in life. He would be the one that would come and nourish our, our souls. He'd be the one that would come to connect us again with other people. He would nourish the relationships. He would be the one that would come and, and win back our relationship with Lord God, giving us again our good standing, our eternal life, our place in God's good heaven to nourish our souls. Jesus came back to do this. And part, most important part, is that death and his resurrection. And yet, when the report comes to the chief priests from these guards that, that the enemy has been, has been destroyed, that now the enemy is fleeing and we can go out and we can grab a hold of that which nourishes our life, abundant and eternal, the response of those chief priests, those leaders of the church at that time was the exact same as the king of Samaria. This can't be true. This can't be true. In fact, I'm going to manipulate as much as possible behind the scenes to ensure that this thing that cannot be true is not known by everybody else. And what they're doing is actually pretty responsible if you if you stop and think, what if, what if the king of Samaria had been right? What if the king of Samaria had been right? What if the army had not fleed because of the Lord had acted? What if the army of Syria was actually in the woods and then the Sumerians had gone out famished, barely able to walk because they're so tired? If they had been left vulnerable, and in fact, the Syrian army was there ready to attack, it would have been the easiest conquering of a city that anyone had ever seen. So not only would the king of Syria look like the loser, but also he would have subjected his people to this. So there is a responsibility that 
is good that the king is trying to do. It's same thing with the chief priests. If they were actually right, if Jesus had only been someone who was claiming to be doing these things, and, and if it was a lie that he had resurrected, then wouldn't the chief priests be doing their due diligence by saving their followers from following a false prophet? The problem is, as we're doing that, what are we saving ourselves from? You know, we, we also have responsibility as we're thinking about the things that, that we are guarding ourselves from or protecting other people from, protecting it at all costs. We, there are certain aspects of the status quo that we do protect and that we do guard against. And some of them are important, like guarding and protecting the church, um, guarding, guarding the doctrine, the good and proper doctrine of the church, you know, guarding our sense of identity from the cultural backgrounds we come from and not letting that just be erased or lost, but let that richness enter into life. Each of us has things that are important to us that we will protect and that we will guard and that are good to try and protect and to try and guard. The complicated part comes when we think about what the king of Syria and what the chief priests were doing, even in their dedication to responsibly protecting what they should, that in fact they were guarding and they were protecting the people from finding that which would bring them life. So there is a difficult tension in, in both of these stories and, I will say, in your story. You are in a complex position in all times in which you're, you're trying to figure out that which should be protected and guarded and when it's actually okay to leave and go find the food that you're not going to be automatically attacked. When it's okay to leave and follow Jesus even though it's, even though it's hard to fully believe everything. We're always, we're always in a moment that is filled with a lack or a need. And yet we are promised by God a future that is heavenly. And so as, we, as we're looking at the position of the king, as we're looking at the position of these chief priests, and then as I'm looking at your role and what you're living right now, I guess the big warning from, from the scriptures and what this, this conspiracy and this deep state plot is that we need to make sure that your investment in right now is not robbing your investment in what God is going to do. We need to make sure that your investment in guarding and protecting what's happened in your life, what's been a value in your life, we need to make sure that that investment, that emotional investment, that intellectual investment, is not robbing your investment in what God could be doing next in your life or what God is doing in the lives of those around us in the church. We need to appreciate that God has formed you and that God has formed the church in this community of witness, but that also God is reforming you and that God is reforming the witness of the church. And both of those are true at the same time. Both of those are true at the same time. There there is need for us to stop and, and, and name the things that God has done 
that have that have been formed and that are true and that are not to be changed, that are to be guarded and are to be protected. We call those in our church the essential tenets, those things which we cannot and will not walk away from, but we will protect and guard. But then outside of those is, is also in our, own, in our own tradition the need to be constantly asking the Lord and looking, where are you reforming me and where are you reforming your church? Where are you reforming our, our, our witness together? So stop for a moment and consider. And this is kind of for this week. I want these questions to be lingering. These are good questions to be, to be considering as you're brushing your teeth in the morning or you're stopping to eat lunch or you're doing your, your routine sometime during the day. Is first, in your life, what has God done? What has God done in your life? How has he formed you up unto today? How has God formed your life, what you believe about life, what you believe about God, what you believe about the importance of a church, what you believe about the country, what you believe about politics, anything? What has God done in your life up to this point? How has God formed you to this point? He's formed you into people that are in families, some of us that have children, what, in the jobs that you're in. What has God done up until this point? How have you been formed? We need to consider that. And consider in that formation, what, what of that is rock, solid rock? And then hold that intention with the second question, which is, in your life, in what way is God bringing about reformation? In what way is God bringing about reformation? Is God calling you or, or, or inviting you into something even better or different, more holy, more sacred? And by that I mean more aligned with what God would want for your life. It's good to stop and remember that God has formed you and part of that is anchor. Part of that is rock to protect and guard. But then not to let that get in the way don't let that get in the way of God now leading you also into the next path that leads to your, leads to your growth, both, both for your own interest, but also for the interests of those around you and for the church. Just an example would be Canoga Park Presbyterian Church. You know, there was once a church called Canoga Park Presbyterian Church. Beautiful church. 63 years it bore that name, and it was an amazing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Saints poured through its halls to worship. Saints were sent out on mission all over the world. Dedicated to the ministry of Jesus Christ, that church flourished. And at the same time as it, as it held true to the anchors of the gospel, it did not let what had been formed get in the way of the reforming that God was doing to do a further witness for his kingdom in the West Valley and around the world. And so courageously, the leaders of that church saw that it was time for renovation to reformation to happen, to follow the Spirit's guidance in, in changing almost everything about the church within, within a nine-year span. Almost everything about that church changed, including its name, eventually becoming River of the Valley.
there are things about that church that were formed that have not changed. The essential tenets, who we believe God to be, the purpose for why we come together, and to, again, to be sending people out into mission. Things that have been reforming, like the way we do worship, like who was up front leading the worship, like the name, <laughs> like the symbol on the sign out front, hopefully there soon. <laughs> okay, do we see it? There are things in your life that God has formed, and together we have been formed as God's people. And then there are things in your life that if you're not careful, you'll, you'll guard it, you'll protect in such a way that you won't let God do what's next. We need to be open-handed, letting God be God, letting God lead, letting the Holy Spirit write the story of your life. Let's pray. Lord, I see these, these guards, and I see these chief priests, and I see the king of Samaria, and I recognize my own heart, and I see the own tension that we carry as, as your people, and knowing what to guard, and knowing what to let you touch, <laughs> knowing how, how to protect what's good, and also be ready to move towards the good still to come. So I pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace, each of us this week, give us the grace to ask these questions of ourselves what is good that we have been formed? What are we not supposed to walk away from? What are we supposed to be guarding? And at the same Lord, same time, Lord, help us know that which you're calling us into. Help us see where you are reforming our hearts. Particularly, Lord, we ask that you would give us clear senses of how you're asking us to move into deeper faith. You have walked with us to this point in our knowledge and understanding of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would continue to be the one giving us new inspirations, new understandings, and new senses of faith so that we can better, better grab hold of you as our Lord, as the God, and that, Jesus, we can better grab hold of you as the one who came to save. Lord, I, I ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to, to say yes to following what you have said and doing it to learning what you have said. Help us, Lord, to continue to read our Bibles. Help us, Lord, to, to desire to enter into Scripture study in small groups. Give us a hunger to follow you through learning what you have said and deepening our commitment to now following that word. We pray, Lord, thanking you for how you have formed us up to this moment. And we pray, Lord, give us the courage and give us the vision for following your reformation moving forward. The name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.